Hello, friends. Uh, Thank you, Jada and Jason. That was amazing, just as I expected it would be. Before I jump in, can I just... Honestly, I just needed to buy myself a couple of minutes, and um, I mean, I am excited about that, but it's a prop that was useful to me, so um, completely self-indulgent, and I'm okay with that. Um, so how are you guys doing this morning? Uh, let me introduce myself. I am Pastor Lori, and I uh, would like to welcome you uh, and thank you for joining us this morning, whether you're joining in person or those of you who are joining us online. We are grateful that you are here. Shout out to my folks online. Woohoo! Love you. Um, I know. You guys forget that they're there sometimes, don't you? That's a shame. They're cool. They're cool people, aren't they? They're, they're great people. Um, before we start, I'm going to give you an important update. Um, You guys know that Pastor Scott has traveled to Uganda, and I want to let you know he's made it safely. He's interacting with uh, the people there, and also he sent us a picture of a monkey, so um, he's probably making good use of his time there. Um, He's going to be spending about a week there in Uganda uh, and with Katie and Cody Fox and their family, along with members of the Gortney family and the people of Good Shepherd's Fold. The Foxes, Katie and Cody, have been a part of E3 for many, many years, and they are our long-term partners in ministry in Uganda. And Pastor Scott has been really excited to see and witness firsthand the great things that are happening there. So uh, please continue to pray. Um, It is a lot of traveling for a very short amount of time on the ground there. So um, pray for his health, for his safety. Please pray. Pray for Carissa and the, and the family while they're back here at home. Um, but super excited. They made it. He made it. No, no issues. And um, we're just excited to hear some good things that are going to come from that trip. So, all right. So let's jump into today. This Sunday, like you've heard mentioned a couple of different ways through the gathering, is the first Sunday of Advent, which is the season marked by waiting and anticipation for the coming of Christ. Advent, the word Advent, is actually the Latin word for coming. And it's a special season in the church calendar that spans the four weeks and the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. And each week of Advent has a different focus, hope, peace, joy, and love. And each of these are highlighted by a different candle that we will light each week, uh, like we saw Barbie and her son do such an amazing job this morning. Um, so to lean into this Advent season here at E3, we are going to kick off a new series this Sunday, today. Um, and we're calling that, that new series Christmas As, and we're going to be inviting you to go with us on a journey that takes a deeper dive into the Christmas story through the perspective of some very critical characters who witnessed the coming of Christ as a baby. Our hope in this series is that you would be challenged to see Christmas differently through these very real people who lived in a very real space and time. These characters were the very first witnesses, each with their own unique viewpoint of God's rescue plan, which was born to us as a tiny little baby. And over these next four weeks, we'll look at Christmas through the eyes of the Magi, the shepherds, the eyes of Mary, and even through the eyes of Jesus himself. 
And this week, we're going to kick things off by looking at Christmas through the eyes of Jesus' own mama, Mary. Fierce. Love her. We're going to take a look at who she was, the significance of what she did, and how that might relate to the focus of this first week of Advent, which is about hope. So we're going to jump in and and read the scripture found in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and you can follow along with me. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Okay, so we're going to try and unpack some of this because there's a lot here. We're going to see what we can learn about Mary from these few verses. We can read that she is a young girl. Most biblical scholars estimate that she is somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. We read that she is a virgin and that she is engaged to be married to Joseph, who is a descendant of King David. Now, let me pause for a moment and remind everybody that at this time and place in history, it was very common for people to marry at such a young age. That's important to know. I'm sorry, I was, I was having a moment. I was like, what is, what is that? Is that a voice in my head? No, it's for real. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, I apologize. For, um, thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it was very common for people at that age to, be, to, to marry at such a young, young age. The reason that I mention that is that her age here is significant, but not because she's engaged to be married, but because Mary was a child and poor and female. And in that culture and that time, she would have been one of the most unlikely candidates to be asked to play such an important role in God's story. She would have been the cultural picture of vulnerability. And yet God chose Mary for what would be one of the most important acts of obedience that he has ever asked of anyone. This is is likely the reason that Mary's initial response is, wait, what? The text says she's confused and disturbed, uh, yeah. And that the angel comforted her by telling her not to be afraid because she has found favor with God. 
And then the angel is apparently done comforting Mary and jumps into the real reason he's there, and that's to tell her that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son who she is to name Jesus, and that this child will be great and be known as the son of God, that he will rule over Israel and that his kingdom will never end. But Mary doesn't do what most of us would do, what I know that my teenage girls would have done and give the ever pleasant and roll her eyes and turn away. Anybody else? Can I get an amen? Anybody got teenage girls? I don't anymore. I survived. I should have a survivor t-shirt made. Um, Nope, that's not what Mary does. Mary simply asks, how? She doesn't say, that's not possible. There's no way. You are crazy, dude. No, Mary asks a simple, how can this happen? She's not dismissing this plan. She's saying, how are we gonna make that work? And Gabriel tells her the Holy Spirit will come upon her through the power of the Most High so that the baby will be born holy. The baby will not be born of man, so he will be born sinless. He then proceeds to tell Mary that her elderly relative Elizabeth, who has been deemed barren, is now pregnant as well, and that this is a reminder that the word of God will never fail, just as the scriptures have said. Once again, Mary doesn't balk at this. Instead, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Can you imagine for a moment what your initial reaction and your overall response might have been to this conversation? Put yourself in her shoes if you can for just a moment. I can imagine my reaction and it doesn't sound like Mary's. And still, we know that Mary was just an ordinary girl, a girl close to the very bottom rung of the society that she lived in. But Mary's response was yes, a very faith-filled yes. Mary didn't know exactly what her yes would require of her, but she knew that God was calling her to serve him, and she willingly agreed. She graciously submitted, even though it would have been humanly impossible for her to fully comprehend the how. It's important for us to understand here that Mary trusted God because she knew God. The evidence we have of her knowing God can be found in the song of praise that she offers to God while she's actually visiting her relative Elizabeth later on in Mary's story. The song referred to as the the Magnificat was filled with words from the Old Testament, uh, words from the songs of Miriam, the songs of Deborah, and the songs of Hannah. And this shows us that Mary was familiar with these words because she knew God. And that knowing is what allowed her to trust God. You want to know what makes this ordinary young girl so extraordinary? It's that. It's that she hears this wild and crazy plan and says, sure, God, I'll do that. I trust you. So I'll do that for you. She was an ordinary girl who had a very extraordinary faith And that's what set her apart. 
When we look at Mary's story, we can hopefully be reminded of the possibilities of what God can do with our relatively ordinary selves. Our opportunity for extraordinary lives is tied to the extraordinariness of our faith. Are we willing to say yes when God asks, especially when that yes can make us even more vulnerable, even less safe, and when it completely takes over our plans? We're never told that Mary's fears go away just because Gabriel tells her not to be afraid. But despite her fears, her questions, and her uncertainties, Mary decided to trust God's plan for her life. She surrendered to God's will. Her desire to serve God and surrender to him was greater than any of her fears, and it was also greater than the hopes and the plans that she had for her own life. Mary had God's favor. But God's favor doesn't mean that she would be in for an easy or comfortable life. His favor on Mary to become the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, would come with a lot of pain. During this pregnancy, she would have been ridiculed. She would have faced the possibility that she did face the possibility that her fiance Joseph would leave her. She faced the possibility of her family abandoning her. A young, unmarried, pregnant girl was risking disaster and she was risking her very life with this decision. And the reason that she was giving for how she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit would have at the very least risked her being labeled crazy. Now, we don't do a a fantastic job today dealing with mental health. Can you imagine what Mary might have been facing? And all of this was the pain that she would face even before her son was born. And Mary's pain didn't end with the first yes. Mary continues to say yes. And this time, her yes is to the surrender of every normalcy and every comfort of that time to give painful birth to the light of the world to bring the the Messiah himself into a very less than welcoming world. Here again, she is asked to surrender all of her own hopes and plans for her firstborn child. She simultaneously surrenders her child for God's plans while she holds him and nurtures him, while she's caring for him and pouring out her love onto him. She is still surrendering him. God, who was fully human, has come in the form of an infant, an infant who is fully and completely dependent on his mother. This tiny king, fully dependent on this loving, young, and ordinary girl who had a big enough faith to say yes. I asked Jason and Jada to learn the song that they sang for you because it paints a very vivid picture that I wanted to be in your mind this morning of who Mary was and maybe some of the things that she might have been experiencing. It was not a silent night. Imagine the scene, if you can. A lot of Christmas songs that we sing today paint a beautiful, peaceful picture about the night Jesus was born. But it's likely that the only thing that was peaceful was the King of Peace himself. 
Like our own lives, sure, there, there was joy, but there was also a lot of pain and sorrow. She faced a lot of uncertainty and adversity, and this lasted throughout her entire life. Let me read some of the lyrics of the song. And little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. A labor of love. Her whole life would be a labor of love. It wouldn't be easy. And yet she still said yes. She had her own plans for her future, I'm sure. Her future in her mind was probably already written. She would, have, she would marry Joseph and join his family, as was the tradition. Her hope was that likely she would have had a happy marriage, have a husband who was good to her, who protected her, who provided for her and her family, and that she would quietly raise their children and live a relatively ordinary life. Can you imagine that that's probably what she was thinking would be her life? And in one small moment, with one small word, she completely surrenders all of her own plans for God's plans. Mary's labor of love would include the pain of watching her firstborn son, the son who she carried in her womb, Watch him move through his life in ministry, being adored and praised, and then just as quickly ridiculed and persecuted. Her labor of love would include watching the son that she loved so much eventually be crucified by the very people he came to save. She would witness that. She had to endure the pain of being the only human at both the birth and the death of Jesus. And even in all of that, it's fair for us to imagine that even if Mary had known what she was really saying yes to, she would have still said yes. Not because of how extraordinary she was, but because of how extraordinary her faith was. So how does Mary's story <clears throat> excuse me, relate to hope during this Advent season? Well, for one thing, Mary's submission and obedience to God that resulted from her incredible faith would bring the world's only hope into the world. Her yes to God is part of the reason we can have hope at all in this season, or in any season for that matter. You see, I think we have a tendency, and I know I do, <clears throat> to look at hope as the dreams and wishes that we have for ourselves. We hope for a great relationship. We hope for a wonderful, fulfilling career. We hope that we win the lottery. It's reasonable to think that Mary had dreams of her own, but as we talk about Advent as the coming of Christ, Mary's hopes were about to shift drastically. With Mary's yes, her future hopes were about to shift to the only thing that would allow us to have real hope. Now, for me, I always try to prepare ahead of time for the coming Advent season. Well ahead of the start of Advent, I try to create a plan for myself. 
I'm always very intentional about choosing some sort of study to go through, usually alongside others for accountability. And this year is no different. I'm actually going through the Advent study with the She 3 group that, that Mallory mentioned. Hopefully you've heard about it pr- prior to this. It actually started on Friday, but it's not too late for you to jump in. If you want to know more about that, you can check out the website or come talk to me. Um, it, but just, I always, that's the study that I'm going to do this year. I always try to be very intentional about a study. And I always have great plans for what the Advent season, what I hope the Advent season is, is going to look like for me. And as I shared in the, uh, online in the She3 uh, group this week, I always have a hope that the season will be different than past seasons. That I would be filled with these feelings of hope and joy and peace and love. And to be perfectly honest, that sometimes wears off right around the sixth or seventh day of Advent for me. <laughs> I have these beautiful plans And I'm going to be a good pastor and a super Christ follower with the cape and everything. And I'm going to do all the things that I frequently tell other people to do. But then my humanness takes over. My immersion in this culture gets in my way and I get distracted. And I get busy. And I give in to that instead of fighting against it. And all of a sudden, I find that my calendar is full, my wallet is empty, my attitude is in the toilet, and I'm already exhausted before we ever get anywhere close to the second week of Advent, which ironically is about peace. Is anybody with me? Thank you. I for sure thought I was not the only one. Thank you. This first week of Advent is about hope, and I start out the first day with a lot of hope for this season. And then just days into the readings, I often feel more hopeless than hopeful. And honestly, a big part of the reason for that is that when I'm talking about hope, I usually mean my dreams, my wishes, my hope. And we've already talked about how Mary, this teenage girl, had her own dreams and wishes her own hope of what her life would look like. But in this season of Advent, that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about. It's not the hope that our dreams would come true. It's the hope that God gives us through his dreams and plans for us. Advent means coming. Yes, hope and peace and joy and love have already come, born as a child through a young girl with a great faith, but also hope and peace, and joy, and love are still yet to come with the return of Jesus to this broken world. I love this quote uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says this about Advent. The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven, and a new earth. So as the band comes out and we worship through this next song, I want to invite you to consider some important, what I think are important questions as we, as we continue into this uh, Advent season. Both acknowledging what has come, but what also we can look forward to what is still to come. So in this season, ask yourself, What does hope 
look like to you? Real hope. And how can you, like Mary, make room for Christ? What plans do you have that you have to surrender so that you can say yes to whatever plan God has for you? Even and especially if it's far different than anything you had planned. Please consider that as we sing these words together.